What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Real quick before we start the show, just wanted to let you guys know you can get the show two days early by joining our Patreon. Even for a buck, you can listen to the show two days early. Go to patreon.com slash analog talk and we got a bunch of stuff over there. Check it out and uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Analog Talk, a film photography podcast. I'm your host, Chris. I'm Tim. And today on the show, we have AJ Holmes. Hey, AJ. Hey, Hey. so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So I'm very excited to have you on the show because I feel like you've forgotten more about photography than I will ever know. (laughs) So I can't wait to just nerd out with you. But before we get into all that fun stuff, do you mind giving our listeners an introduction on who you are and how you got started in photography? Sure. So I started shooting uh, film in particular in Christmas of 2006. I've been asking for a camera uh, for my parents for a couple years and they kept saying no it's just going to be a fad you're going to throw this away (laughs) and a couple years later they took me to target and had me pick out a camera but with the caveat that it had to be a film camera oh wow they said that if i if they bought me a digital camera they knew i wouldn't stick with it wow so they bought me a brand new canon rebel k2 35 millimeter slr with a 28 to 90 kit lens 20 rolls of kodak gold and a tripod and um that was the best Christmas gift I've ever gotten. I was going to say, yeah, that's a great I'm, Christmas. Uh, yeah, I was totally enamored over the moon, didn't know what in the world I was doing, made a ton of mistakes, but now we're 14 years on, mm-hmm. I'm shooting film like you know more than ever before, and could never thank my parents enough for that brilliance and wisdom that they had back then. So what, what do they think of... Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I was just going to say, <laughs> I love how your parents, of all people, thought it was a fad because they they have become your 
most photographed subjects. So they Definitely. you made them eat yeah. their words for sure. I, a little bit, <laughs> and they may they may regret it a bit. But beyond that, I guess a little bit more background, real quick, before we uh, keep diving in. I, I you know was shooting film exclusively, and then around '08. Uh, switched to Canon digital hybrid for some beginning of commercial work, not thinking film was viable for commercial work. Mm. Uh, little did I know I was quite wrong at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2014, I, I switched back to entirely shooting film, uh, photographing weddings uh, really all over the country, mostly in the southeast, but but some in California and, and other places. And um, in 2014, I, w- I went to Middle Tennessee State University uh, studied photography, got my bachelor's degree there, graduated in 2016. And uh, since then, I've been really focused on traveling the country uh, with 4x5 and 8x10 cameras, uh, documenting people, places, things, mm. uh, anything I find captivating, mostly on color film. And uh, most recently, I found myself, uh, you know, very much in the center of the film scanning world, kind of on accident with Negative Supply. And uh, I'm one of the co-owners and co-founders of Negative Supply. And, you know, we, we do our best to revolutionize the way people scan film of all formats, wherever they are. So very happy to be so involved in the industry and Hoping only grow that level of involvement. And and coming from a person that that doesn't work at Nevit Negative Supply, <laughs> like we we appreciate it, us photographers. Just like I remember Chris at the mm-hmm. film photography Padilla, one of the people in the audience asked a question of like flatbeds and scanning oh, yeah. technology. Do you remember that? Yeah. And it was just like we were all sitting there like, oh yeah, like this you know, it it only goes up so far. I mean, I know Epson did release the V eight fifty not that long ago it wasn't like decades mm-hmm. ago like most of the stuff that we're using but it, it's just nice to know that you know somebody stepped up to the plate and was like mm-hmm. look we're not gonna we're not gonna let this this die you know much yeah. appreciated and thank you thank you we're happy to do it thank you so i wanted to talk to you about some of your personal projects i don't know if it's something you, you want to share but you've talked a lot about your roadside jesus project do you mind yeah touching on that a little bit? Yeah. So that's a project I started in January of 2017. I was uh, actually on a road trip uh, driving across I-70 to Denver, and then I jumped up to I-80 to drive across Wyoming, which doing that in the winter is beautiful. Mm. I made long exposures at night during a named winter snowstorm of church bulletins, roadside evangelism, as I call it, these you know, the, the bulletin boards and billboards that, you know, say you're going to go to hell if you don't repent or something like that. <laughs> and being from the southeast, being from Tennessee, I've gotten so used to those types of advertisements, mm-hmm. this kind of heavy handed evangelism that, uh, in my opinion, probably does more to drive people from the church than to it. And so I kind of, sh- you know, shifted some of my creative bandwidth towards documenting that and trying to tell a story around you know, if you're trying to advertise for bringing people to the church, this is probably the wrong way to go about it. Right. Um, so this is a body of work that's definitely, definitely still in progress. I just shot some new scenes for it in Texas and New Mexico a few weeks ago. Um, the work is pretty much exclusively on 4x5 color film. There's a little bit in 8x10. I, I'm still in the process of processing that. But it'll it'll probably stick to four by five because uh, usually 
when I find a scene like this, if I was shooting it on 8x10, I'd have the propensity to only want to pull one sheet. Mm-hmm. When I do this on 4x5, I'll usually pull three or four sheets of each scene, which is the cost of about one sheet of 8x10. Jeez. Uh, or, or less, even. So, wow. That work is, is, like I said, still very much forming, and i um, very excited to keep exploring that. What's your end goal for that? Do you think you'll do a book or a show? Or I really want to do a show with those images. Uh, ideally, what I really want to do, I have the scans where I can work with the work digitally and promote it and have it for social media, web presence, that kind of thing. But my real love for color photography is in the RA4 darkroom. Uh, and, it's like uh, a dream of mine. Yeah. Yep. I, you know, that's a pastime of mine. 12, 14 hour printing sessions in the color darkroom, coming never... out to watch the sunrise and then going right back in. There's something really special about that. So the goal for this work would be, like any of my current work, uh, to enlarge it at least to 16 by 20 and window mat it and uh, have a printed exhibition one day. Um, that's the dream anyway. Yeah. So, Dude, I, I'm so glad to hear that too, because I, I've been seeing a lot more of that pop up lately. The, the mm-hmm. color printing, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. ugh, it just scares me that by the time I finally get my, my slow moving butt together <laughs> to start doing this stuff that it's going to be, the process is going to be kind of too hard to find or do on my own. But thankfully I just saw Willem dropped a video where he was doing it in his mm-hmm. bathroom or something. So I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I, you and totally I totally can. Yeah. And I have like a color enlarger that I got super cheap that I've just been kind of storing and waiting for my time to shine with that. Cause that's the dream. Like I would love to, to see wet prints coming out with some color on them. I mean, don't get me wrong. Absolutely. Regular, regular darkroom stuff is fun. Like black and white. You definitely mm-hmm. learn a lot about your photography doing that, but I couldn't even imagine. Oh, yeah. I'm an extremist, though. We talk about it all the yeah. time on the yeah. show. Like, I need to take it from point A to point B. And no, I'm the same way. And the thing about the color darkroom, just as a quick tangent, I'm sure you two knew this. Maybe some of your listeners don't, but it is a pitch black. I was going to say, oh, yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. you have to be mm-hmm. completely in the dark for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Your spatial awareness has to be on point. Uh, you have to like memorize where you have your paper, your different sizes, which knobs are which on the enlarging timer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, any mistake and you fog paper. Wow. And you can't even, like in the darkroom I last printed in, we had a f- smoke detector on the wall with a little red oh. light. You know, I had to tape over the red yeah. light of yeah. the smoke detector because my exposures for 4x5 enlargements to 16 by 20 could easily jump into a couple of minutes depending on what I needed to do. So, and then just one closing note, I know Timothy and Chris, you probably both know this, but you can use a color enlarger for split grade printing black and white. Mm. Um, And it's a really cheap way to get your hands on a black and white enlarger. Uh, My first enlarger was a color enlarger. Exactly. Uh, It's a lot of fun, but anyways. Man, being in the complete dark, I feel like you'd have to really... I, I mean, do you get claustrophobic? Like, do you panic? Like, I, I would just be like, okay, enough. I need to like, get out of here. It's actually really serene. Yeah, it's true. The first couple of times I did it, I was kind of horrified because it's a big old dark room. It's a huge dark room. And when you're in there by yourself, the only noises I would hear is the slight hum of an enlarger timer and the kind of low, well, kind of deeper 
humming of the RA4 dry-to-dry processor in the room right behind me. And uh, I'd usually be in there alone. Wow. And uh, I got to the point where I would just turn on really good music and just drift away into printing. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the dream. So much fun. That's the dream. Yep. It was it was a great time. You don't know what you have till it's gone, I guess, because when I graduated from Middle Tennessee State and lost the color darkroom, I I felt lost for <sighs> Damn. Probably do they still have that darkroom, you think? They do. Wow. In fact, I, I hope to do a little bit of printing over the holidays. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> so I want to ask you. Yes. We've been focusing on large format at work here recently. But mm-hmm. do you have any advice for people who may be too intimidated to get into large mm. format, i.e. Mm. people who think it's too big <laughs> uh, <laughs> or anything like that? Just general advice like to ease mm-hmm. people's like concerns they might have? Sure. So, again, when I was back at Middle Tennessee State, I, I got there in, in the fall of 2014. I was shooting my Nikon F3 and my Pentax 6.7. And I thought at the time, there is no way. Yes. I will this ever is the go story bigger I than six to tell. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I thought it's too expensive. It's too difficult. There's too many steps, too many places to go wrong. And um, I went on my first cross-country road trip the following spring, May of 2015. And when I got back, I was reviewing negatives. I'd shot like 70 rolls of film. And one of our professors, Tom Jemison, walked up to me and he was peeking over my shoulder looking at the light table. And he said, yeah, these are pretty good, but would have been a lot better if you'd taken a four by five. And uh, and he gave me this like characteristic smile that only Tom could give you. He's this sweet older man that was kind of became my mentor for printing and and creating photographs. And uh, the next week he asked me to come by his office and pick up a Toyo 45 CF four by five, a 210 lens, 10 holders, and everything else. So I was kind of like I don't know. There was kind of a fire behind my tail to start shooting 4x5 because this person I so looked up to really kind of led me to the water, so mm-hmm. to speak. He's like, you, I'm going to give you everything you need. Go do it. And after I pulled my first couple of sheets of film, yeah, it was tricky. I had to go in the dark room and figure out notch codes and how to mm-hmm. load film and feed it into the holder. And yeah, is there a little bit of a curve there? You betcha. But when I developed those first frames, actually Trey developed them in the dark room, my oh, first cool. time developing oh, wow. sheet film, which was also horrifying. <laughs> um, but the first photograph I ever made on the 4x5 was of my grandmother, and it was with Ilford Delta 100 at like F45 with a 210 lens, which is a great portrait link. And it's one of the sharpest photographs I'd ever seen. Yeah. And when I pulled that negative out of the developer, I thought, okay, yep, let me go buy 100 sheets <laughs> of this film. Yep. And so I would say that's very long-winded, but I would say you just need that experience Mm -hmm. one time to know that you've made the right decision. And if I was to give someone any more specific advice, start out with something affordable, whether that's a used monorail like a Calumet or a Burke and James Mm -hmm. or a Cambo, even a Cinar F1. Uh, You can get a complete kit for it with a lens in some cases for $400 or less. Don't go crazy and don't start with color film either. It, it's it's expensive. You might want to do that immediately. And I yep. get it because that's pretty much all I shoot now. But get yourself a hundred sheet box of Ilford black and white and make mistakes. Or even better, if you want to really learn a bit about reciprocity, a bit about loading holders, 
uh, and shooting more, I guess, orthochromatic, I believe I'm correct in that, shoot paper negatives. Yeah. Mm. You know, cut up 8 by 10 sheets of darkroom paper and load those into 4 by 5 holders. Get, you know, you can shoot a ton and make lots of mistakes. But I think if it, if large format is something that interests you, it's very easy to get bogged down in what could be perceived as a problem or a pain point. Mm-hmm. But I'd encourage you just to shoot past that and uh, create work on on that large format camera. If that's something you feel called to do, listen to it. It's funny because you were my first introduction to 8x10. And do you remember? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you took Patrick's photo? Yeah. So, okay. So Film Daddy 47 on Instagram. Hi, Patrick. Um, Hi, Patrick. <laughs> friend of Negative Supply. He comes to visit all the time. He's awesome. Uh, AJ, awesome. usually when we have visitors, AJ takes the, takes the moment to grab a portrait, which I think is wonderful. But I remember you finally getting the scans back from Northeast Photographic. And do you remember our reaction? I, it's, I'm a, it's like a little <laughs> embarrassing because I screamed. <laughs> you did. I was like, are you joke? Is this a joke? The <laughs> The colors, what well, was a portrait, right? It was portrait? Portrait 400. Uh, and the quality of that image, I was like, this is obviously next level. Like, my mind was blown. I, there's just something that happens. I mean, and it's really beautiful and also defeating because mm-hmm. it makes me want to shoot 8 by 10 color film for every single thing. Mm-hmm. But I know at the same time that it, it is expensive, right? right? I mean, a box of 8 by 10 color film, 10 sheets. You're the better part of two hundred dollars, yeah. sometimes more. That's and uh, yeah, speaking of which, we had a a really awesome customer of ours came to visit. I guess it was last week or the week before, and I photographed him with two sheets of eight by ten portrait four hundred. And at the end of it, he's like, "You took so long to take two pictures." <laughs> and I said, "Well, yes, I did, but film is twenty one dollars a sheet." And he yeah. was like, "You're kidding." Yeah. No, it's it's expensive. So you got to make sure you nail it. And um, yeah. And but Chris, just so you know, when I saw that portrait of Patrick, <laughs> film daddy, I wasn't expecting it to look that cool. Yeah, yeah. It was. So a, when it's I a saw that, shot. I was like, so much of that is the format and the expression of Patrick. Right. Though. His hair looked great. The shirt he had on was the perfect color. It was like, yeah, the, the colors the- were great. A perfect storm. Yeah. So I'm I'm real happy, very happy that that photo was taken. But that's a, that's just an example of when things work together, mm-hmm. uh, you can get a really great shot. And that's to to me, it's that's worth the twenty bucks. I feel like I would have paid a hundred for that. Yeah, shot. that's a good one. Do you think you'll ever do like an eight by ten exclusive book? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite books. I wish I had it here with me right now, but it's uh, Richard Avedon. His portrait work, mostly of the American West. And actually, my professors, it's so good. My professor, Tom Jemison, gave me the book. It's a signed version. Wow. Yeah, I I didn't know what I had at the time, but it's an accordion book. You fold it out, it's like 50 feet long, and it's 8 by 10 contact prints. Wow. I definitely want to do that. Yeah. But I don't know what of or when, but one day. Just thinking of that project, too, I watched this thing where Avedon, he put up the pictures of the miners did you guys happen to see that at all Mm-mm. he put up prints of the of the miners and they got to see themselves like they don't normally get like to one see to them. one yeah yeah oh, wow. and they were just like it's such a cool story like i don't know large format to me is just like the end game like the final boss you know like if you have mm-hmm. yeah. 
you know, and, and there's so much to learn from 35 and 120. And like, I don't do that, like definitely learn. And, and when you realize that you really want to take this serious or you have a like a like a life project that you want to do, like switch it over to four by five or eight by 10, because I mean, it it just like it does something. It's like I hear a lot of people say it, too, on like Instagram. And would the photo even be that good if it wasn't shot on film kind of thing where film has this this magic fairy dust that gets put on it just because it's film, you know, so you already right. are in like a, a winning environment. And then just to step it up to because I've only ever shot shot four by five that's as mm-hmm. far as I've gotten and I mean it I hate to say this but it could be like the crappiest composition and it's still like whoa that's yeah. so cool <laughs> yeah. like this this Absolutely. garbage can in the alley looks so awesome and it's like it's a damn garbage can <laughs> in an alley but it's it's uh, it just like does something it does mm-hmm. something to it, it and does. I don't know I well and uh, I think I think anybody listening to this it's like like I said a minute ago I mean there is kind of this almost like spiritual experience that happens when you view a negative or view a print or a scan of yeah. four by five or eight by 10 film. And I guess like a note of warning is that it's easy to get hooked to shooting this way. Yeah. Oh, so easy. And yeah. I, I know I am fully like washed in the water now. I mean, I, <laughs> I just in the last 24 hours, I bought another six boxes of Fortra 400 trying to get some Ektar. It's literally as soon as we get off this podcast, I'm, I'm trying to go buy a few boxes of Ektar. And once you, once you dive in, you're mm-hmm. not going to want to come back from it. And that's okay. We, uh, the large format community welcomes anyone else who wants to join. I kind of, I was saying this to you the other day at work, how Timothy, that's the perfect analogy. Like it's the final boss. Cause a lot of us are like, once we've mastered or, or we all, we all love this film photography thing so much that we're like, okay, well what's next? Like, what else can I try? Silver gelatin yeah. printing. We want to do all, all the, like the nerdiest things. So I, I think mm-hmm. if the gateway is a little bit more, like more people like you and Timothy and all the, like Matt Marash, all of the large format people who are like, no, look, you can do this too. We're ready. I'm ready. Yeah, it's it's it is a great time. And also like there's such great availability of large format tools now and yeah. Like the cameras from Intrepid are so awesome and very affordable uh and relatively available now. They they did have a much longer back order on those, but great tools. It's a great time to jump in. Yeah, and I will specify like like you said at the beginning, you don't need to waste a ton of money. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you don't need to go buy like some $2,000 camera to start. You know, I mm-hmm. prime example is the camera. My first camera was a, a Toyo field, like an old view camera that I literally had super glued and duct taped together just to keep it straight, just to keep yep. it because it was sitting in somebody's garage for years and they gave it to me and it was all broken. And as long as I could keep the fill plane straight where I, I mean, yeah, I lost all the movements and the fun stuff, but you don't need that right off the bat anyway and i mean just to kind of get the feel for it and see the magic that happens and i still have that camera it's sitting behind me now you can't see it because my face is blocking it but (laughs) it's just another one of those things is it's it's a box and you know the lens and the film and composition do pretty much all the work to this stuff so i mean Mm -hmm. you know intrepid god bless them for for doing this because i feel like Again, just like with the whole film photography thing, like if we're not pushing to 
keep this thing going. You know, if if four by five is a dying format or eight by ten is a dying format, like it'll be gone Over one day. Over my dead body. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and we'll just be like, oh, do you remember those days when we could get da 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 for? Yeah, it's just it scares me, and and I'm glad that we're having kind of like a large format episode because I feel like it. We we don't get many people that shoot it, so I yeah. I love the everywhere I look right now. There is a renaissance in the world of large format photography. Good, good, and that brings me such joy mm-hmm. because for me, what an absolute nightmare is made of is hearing that Portra 400 is no longer going to be cut into sheets. Mm. Because the very next thing I'm going to do is call Keith Canham at KB Canham Cameras and put in a massive special order yeah. for 4x5 Portrait. I, I mean, as long as I have breath and yeah. a means of making money, I'm going to find a way to buy this stuff because there is nothing else like it. Kodak is the only company on Earth still making sheet film of color negative film. Yeah, Fuji makes color slide, which is great. Glad they do. But... Portra and Ektar, that's it. That is where the buck starts and stops. And so if you're interested in shooting large format, it's it's imperative that we support the makers of large format film and support them as much as we can uh, if we want it to remain a viable way to work. So true. Mm-hmm. Do you ever do you ever mess around with expired stocks or anything like that? Do you ever look for older stuff online and have any luck with it? Sure, yeah. I've got I've got a couple boxes of Portra 400 NC 160VC and 4x5. I think I I might have some 160VC and 8x10. Lots of expired T-Max 100 and 400. And a lot of this stuff was just kind of given to me over the years. It's like, oh, you shoot 4x5. I haven't touched that Mm. thing in 20 years. Here's some film. Same here. Same here. And I have a couple of rarities in there, too. I have a box of Kodak Portra 100T. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I haven't cracked that one open because it's like, I'll never find that again. But uh, but expired film is great. I I love shooting expired film. But just to double down for... You know, as, as cool as it is to shoot expired stock, and, and you definitely should, um, I try to support Kodak and buy new as much as I can. Have you shot the Cinestill 800T? Yeah, I have a box of Cinestill 800T and 4x5. I've shot three holders because that's how many sheets would go in my Mod 5.4 uh, <laughs> developing tank. And it's really cool. It's kind of thin. You have to be careful handling it. But the brothers ride over at Cinestill were kind enough to let me test a box and i can't wait until that is uh officially back on the market again yeah it is rad yeah i still have five i have five sheets sitting in a box that need to be shot because i keep getting told from andre who works with them that the shelf life on it isn't the best so best to use it yeah best to use it up and you know, I'm one of those guys that's waiting for the stars to align and yeah. have the right perfect right. moment to shoot that film because I would hate for it to go to waste. Yeah, definitely. What I've done with mine, I've actually taken my box of Cinestill and put it inside of another double-sided 8x10 film box. I'm paranoid about light leaks. Mm-hmm. That is one thing that I know about myself. Like, I've gotten burnt before uh, with bad light leaks on large format and then had to quickly redo a project, so... Cinestill, that higher speed film, it's the highest speed 4x5 film I've ever owned. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, because what is it? 800 ISO? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Uh, So, but yeah, it's cool stuff. Just got to handle it 
with care. <laughs> you really do. Mm-hmm. It scares me. It scares me even to get it that because I like you, I have it wrapped in two of the black bags that come with the film, but like yeah. they're married to each other, so they're, they're right. like there's no way that light's gonna get in there. But somehow you still think. Yeah. Some way. Yeah. It could happen. <laughs> and or I do. I do. It always happens with the holders for me. Like when I'm shoving mm-hmm. them into my bag, they get kind of pressed a little bit and then a little bit of light gets in there. That's how it, at least that's what I think is the issue that I had. So I stopped carrying it in the bag. I I carry it in a separate bag now. I'm like triple checking my taking film out. Yeah, it's smart. And uh, yeah, that's that's a huge tip. Anyone that asks me about getting into large format, specifically 4x5, I recommend the Toyo View 4x5 film holders because they have really great tightening locks. And they're also metal slides that don't press in. Mm. Oh, okay. So it's very hard to get a light leak with those holders. Still possible, but very difficult. Yeah, yeah. That's one thing that you got to keep an eye on when you're buying like, because I bought a bulk, I think it was like 50 holders or something like that. I got when they were somewhere cheap on Facebook Marketplace or something. And I went through and did a test on all of them. And it, I mean, it took me a while because, you know, mm. you're only shooting two sheets at a time. So, and maybe I'd take three or four film carriers out so i found a couple that were bad but most of them were good the i noticed that there's there's like old and wooden ones that were really bad they would just leak like crazy so i just threw all the wooden ones away that i had if you find a wooden film holder it is conservatively at least 40 years old that's crazy yeah um yeah so most of them are much older than that 70 to 90 years Mm -hmm. old holy Mm -hmm. cow so yeah so if it still works great uh, but they probably won't. So, <laughs> yeah, more than likely. Did you ever mess with any of the Polaroid 8x10 stuff? Haven't yet. I want to. Uh, I hope I get to. It's just, you know, it's like another thing, right? I mean, you, you got to get a, a processor. Tall, and, it's a tall yeah. beast. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Special holder. But mm-hmm. I'll do it. I, I'd be down to do it sometime. I say we should do it at the office so I get to play too. <laughs> you got it. Yep. Sign me up. We'll we'll make that a January project. Um, but you know, one of the things that has kind of informed so much, so many of my gear decisions, film decisions, and, you know, is the work I'm currently doing of my family. Yeah. And there's so much inspiration there, just from other artists that I've followed over the years, and and so. Um, What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So right now I'm not really, I try not to cloud my mind with other ways to work. Because right now it's like, I know the way I'm working on this project and I just want to keep funneling any thought process I can into making that better. Keep not being myopic, not being too narrow minded, but know what works 
and explore from there, build on that. And so that's, I don't know, I'm very much kind of one track right now on that project. So it's intense. Can you talk a little bit more about that? When did that start? I consider it started with the very first large format image I took of my grandmother. Right. Because when I pulled that negative out and and saw what I had, I was kind of hooked. But it actually started before that, because that image of my grandmother on 4x5 for Delta 100, which is a wonderful stock of film. I was inspired to make that portrait because of one of my favorite photographers, Emmett Gowan. Emmett is popular for several different bodies of work. Uh, He's still a practicing photographer today, but his work of his wife Edith and her family in Danville, Virginia, I believe it was, absolutely molded the way Mm. I saw photography. It was... because. Before this, a little, I guess a little bit of background, not to be too wordy here, but. No, go for it. Awesome. I, I had, so the portrait I made of my grandmother, that was in like the fall of 2015, I guess. But in the spring of 2014, I had gone to New York and actually summer of 2014, I had gone to New York and I was so interested in this kind of metropolitan landscape, the mm. bustle, the hustling down the streets, the subways, the calamity, the chaos of mm-hmm. photographing in a city. Being from a rural town in southern middle Tennessee, or semi-rural, this ex-urban landscape, going to New York was like this pilgrimage that had to happen. <laughs> and I made these photos, some of them I really, really love, even to this day, motion studies with the Yashica 124, and, and had a great time. But when I came back and I was working with those images, I, I still didn't, it didn't feel like me, didn't feel like my photographic mm. calling. It was fun to do, and I still love New York. But it was just a few months later that I made that first image of my grandmother. And so I started to kind of find a voice, I guess, in all that. Because in between the images in New York and the first portraits of my grandmother, I discovered Emmett Gowan in one of my black and white classes at Middle Tennessee State. Uh, Professor Jonathan Trundle introduced the class to Emmett Gowan's work and, and an interview from Emmett Gowan. And Emmett's perspective on photographing family was interesting because when I first saw the work, I thought, well, these are great images, but I feel like I have to be in L.A. or have to be in New York or have to be in Chicago or in Miami. I have to be somewhere where the action is. Mm. This kind of for me, it kind of felt like I had to I had to do that. And um, Emmett Gowan gave an interview where he explained, he said, I was always drawn to the metropolitan photographers, this D.C., Chicago, New York, all all these cities where black and white photography, even New Orleans, uh, you know, I'm thinking of, what is it, Walker Evans? Um, Anyways, these incredible photographers that have done lovely work in metropolitan areas. But he said, for me, what was as captivating as the work that these men and women are doing in these huge cities was my in-laws and my wife's family in their backyard in Danville, Mm. Virginia. It's like this smack in the face. Yeah. This what you thought you knew about or what you thought you had to do. No, no. Scratch that. And so I'm seeing these images from Emmett Gowan. I'm hearing this interview and then I start making these photos of my grandmother. And uh, it kind of just felt like the stars aligned in mm-hmm. a way. And I was hooked the following fall. I, I continued making photos of my family, mostly in black and white, really just to learn more about exposure and using the 4 by 5 But the following fall, I was in a large format class at my school. I decided then to take the work more seriously. I bought my own 4 by 5 camera, and I started shooting exclusively Portra and Ektar 4 by 5 of my family. And I just dove in 
the work has kind of kind of changed a bit because it's been a little better than five years now, mm-hmm. almost six years doing this. Wow. Yeah. And I still have so much that I'm going back and scanning because this all originally lived in the color dark room. So I have right. archives and archives, hundreds of negatives that were only ever printed, not scanned. So I'm archiving that now and, and we'll be sharing more. But the work shifted to being mostly of my parents, mm-hmm. the people that really kind of led me to film photography. And there's moments of joy, moments of sadness, mm-hmm. tension, bliss, any emotion or any state that I find my parents in, I usually try to find a way to introduce a camera. I don't believe in always having these doctored, staged scenes. For me, it's not accurate. Yeah. For me, part of photographing my family is photographing the intimacy and the imperfection mm-hmm. in photographing another human being. good example of that, I made images of... In 2017, my dad had been in a pretty bad car accident, shattered like 14 bones in his foot. It was a whole thing. And uh, the night he came home from the hospital, we had to call an ambulance because he had to go back. And I made an image of the ambulance arriving. Wow. And then, and then recently, and then I made pictures of my dad in his cast in his wheelchair. He embraced it. I, I, it wasn't this predatory thing. It was, are you okay? Can I... Can I make a few photos? Now, even more recently, the work has taken such an interesting turn because in this time of living in COVID-19, you know, you can't take anything for granted. Right. Over 300,000 people are dead in the United States, you know, the better part of 2 million across the globe. So for me, it felt more important than ever to keep working and photographing my family, but doing so safely. And in the mix of all of this, I had a renewed interest in making this work because my dad had to have open heart surgery in August. Shit. And when I was home two weeks, three weeks ago, whenever it was, mm-hmm. I made images of my father. I shot around 30 four by five images of my dad in a day and a half. Wow. And um, I photographed his scarring. Wow. From his open heart surgery. I asked if I could, and he welcomed it with open arms. So the work has gotten so much tighter, so much more intimate, at times visceral, but it's just, it's raw. It's like the unadulterated moments of my parents. And I, it actually, like, I don't know where it's going to go, but this is the work. I've never been more passionate about anything else. And so... Taking a hundred sheets of color film with me when I go back at Christmas and hope to just keep working with it. That's uh, that's real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the images, I mean, we're obviously going to share them on our Instagram, but they're, you know, the the ones that come to mind that are my personal favorites of your of your folks. Your it's your mom in her kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. It's your dad on his lawnmower. It's the two of them hugging. That the one where they're hugging is so sweet. It's my favorite one. Yeah, I think I don't remember this this specific woman's name but she did i don't know if you you've heard about her she she's she took the photos of her parents as they were like waving goodbye when she would leave for yeah i know what you're talking about yeah so it was like you you watch the the progression of time yep and i think it's just that i mean that's obviously one of the reasons why we all love photography is because we're capturing it's like a time capsule you know what i mean the moment so you're gonna have that kind of same body of work obviously in a different setting but you're going to be able to look at it over a span of time. And mm-hmm. it's I think it's beautiful. Thank you. And actually, the other night I couldn't sleep. And uh, I mean, who has ease sleeping right now? No. Right? <laughs> the world is crazy. Yeah. But when I can't sleep, I open up Photoshop. I open up 
archives on my computer and start looking through scans. And I have them pretty well tagged, much better than any of my 35 or 120 words which is a total nightmare. But I started going back 2015, 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, and about to be in 2021. So this will be the seventh calendar year of photographing my folks. And I can see it's amazing how you can go back to a time that was relatively simpler, mm -hmm. 2015 or 2016. You don't see the stress in my yeah. parents' faces then. Wow. Their hair isn't as gray. The lines mm -hmm. aren't as pronounced. Their eyes aren't as heavy. Right. And so... While on one hand, it feels really difficult. It's difficult to even really talk about it. It mm -hmm. feels difficult. To, it feels more difficult to take the photos. It's this beautiful thing, being able to capture time like that. Mm -hmm. But I've had several instances in the past few months. The focusing cloth for me is probably my best friend when I'm making these really intimate portraits. Because there have been three or four occasions where I'll, I'll just tear up Yeah, right there, yeah. you know? It's this very raw thing. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, like, with your parents making that decision of, of the film camera and all that uh -huh. stuff and, and knowing that that was kind of the real way of doing things, <laughs> not, not that digital photography is not real, but you know what I mean? Like, where, what is their background in all of this that they that their knowledge knew that? Were they, are they photographers? Are they artists? Are they musicians? Just like knowledge, you know? No, not at all. You know, my, <laughs> My That's parents, amazing. I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. My my parents are um, both business owners. They were professional restaurateurs for the better part of 30 years. They own the chain of barbecue restaurants in Alabama and Tennessee. They're, they are the South embodied. Mm -hmm. They're kind, loyal to a fault, loving, mm. caring, supportive. Yeah. And uh, But they're traditional. And both of what my parents knew about photography is for years – my family, when we were growing up, we never had a digital camera. Mm -hmm. They were still, three, four years ago, still buying disposable Kodaks at the drugstore, mm. which is so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And like when certain drugstores stop selling them, they find another one that had them. <laughs> it's like this ridiculous thing. Like you are going on a quest to find a, a single use camera. Good on you. Yeah. yeah. So I think that it's just what they knew. And... Uh, this technological dilation that so many people embrace now with digital photography hadn't quite hit them yet. And then the other influence, though, credit where credit's due, my grandmother was, she went in 50-50 with my parents to buy my camera and all the film. And they later Aww. went in to buy me Canon L-series lenses and stuff. Like, they mm. helped me build this ridiculous set of tools because they realized they had kind of opened a Pandora's box yeah. and like, uh -oh, couldn't whoops. close it. You couldn't put it back in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my grandmother swore by Canon 35-millimeter cameras. She had bought her boyfriend back in the 70s a Canon F1N and a few lenses. Smart lady. And so when they went to buy me a new camera, it was going to be a Canon. It was going to be a 35-millimeter SLR, and it was going to be with Kodak film because she said... You had to have Kodak film. I love that. Uh, it's like, wow. Yeah. Whoa. Incredible. God. I'm so grateful <laughs> for that. Yeah. I love the, the stories of like the moment of like, like you and your professor would when you thought your work was going to go one way. Right. And then all of a sudden you're like almost yanked by the collar to go another way. I love stories yeah. like that. I remember standing in the hallway, looking at that light table, looking at that 120 film. And Tom Jemison saying, yeah, these are cool, but. Yeah. And it was like he literally, Chris, like you said, it's like he 
grabbed me and set, shook me. Yeah. It's like, this is cool, but there's a level unlock here, and you are knocking on the door to it. Listen. And I am so glad I did. It's amazing. Mm. We'll be right back with a listener question for AJ right after this message from our sponsor. Support for Analog Talk comes from Polaroid. Use the promo code ANALOGTALK10 on your first purchase on film at Polaroid.com. I just wanted to hop in quick and remind you guys that over at Patreon.com slash Analog Talk, every third Sunday of the month, we're going to be doing a live develop with us. It's going to be a Zoom hangout. We all develop some film. We all talk shop. We all have fun. We all nerd out. It's such a blast. It's going to be the third Sunday. Develop with us. It's a ton of fun. We also have a bunch of other stuff over on our Patreon, so check it out. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, guys, this is part of the show where we break off and take a question from one of our listeners. And this week's listener question comes from Course Master, and he would like to know, how did you end up with the Ebony SW810? Those cameras are pretty rare, it would seem. I would like to know as well. Awesome. Well, they are rare. I... Still do not feel like I deserve that camera. So I I don't know exactly how many of them were made. I think it's something like a hundred of them exist. Wow. Isn't that wow. crazy? <laughs> yeah. So it's it is bizarre. But the Ebony SW eight ten that I own actually belonged to the guy who led me to large format. It belonged to Tom Jemison. In fact, I'm looking at the bag right now in my office. It still has his business card. Mm as professor of photography and the curator of the Baldwin Photographic Gallery at Middle Tennessee State University. Mm. Uh, that man was a veritable legend in his own right, one of the most incredible photographers I ever had the pleasure of knowing. And I have been using this camera since I bought it from his wife in September 2019. Uh, Tom passed away in September 2017. Mm. So I shared a few words at his memorial and that just inspired me to shoot even more not not to to go on too much of a tangent here but this guy was so impactful to me i remember where i was when i got the call that he passed away mm. i was at the tennessee state fair i'd been photographing an event there for three years prior called the mule pull uh, it's a very southern agricultural thing First time I photographed that was for Tom's intermediate black and white class three years prior. And when I got the call that this man had died, and I'm photographing the same event for, wow. from three years prior that I had given him these prints, and he's like, okay, you got to keep doing this. I was so devastated when I got that call in 2017, cried for like two minutes, mm. and then I loaded another roll of Triax. <sighs> like, you got to make the best damn picture you've ever done of this event. And wow. so two years later, his wife got in touch with me about the Ebony. Well, about eight by 10 cameras, because he had a few. I went and visited their home, found a Deerdorf V8, which is a cool camera. And then I kept digging through bags and I see this 10 by case that I know is a large format bag. I'm like, what other eight by 10 did Tom have? And I'd never seen an Ebony in person. But when I opened the top of that bag, I saw the top handle and I said, my God, Mm. This is an ebony eight by ten. I thought I had found a unicorn. Like yeah. this is this is absurd. This does not happen. What is going on? And she gave me an incredible price, an opportunity to buy it that I would never be able to find again. And wow. I did it. 
that thing has changed the way I see the world. It's so cool. I baby it, but I also use it. I felt like, you know, Tom, he took good care of his cameras, but he would be so pissed off if that thing just sat in a bag. Oh, yeah. Stayed on the shelf. He'd rather it be smashed on the ground from an accident because <gasps> I was using it. Right. Then it stayed pristine. So, And now I have several of Tom's lenses, his Reese wooden tripod, his cable release, and I even have the most, like, heavy thing that I have from him. I have the ink pen that he used for his field notes. Wow. And it stays yeah. in my large format bag. It's just this crazy thing. Is there anywhere Tom's work is displayed? Is there anywhere we could check it out? I can try and find a couple links. I'm going to actually hopefully be working with his family to digitize his archive. Yeah. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. And also I uncovered that, I guess it was, let's see, one 8x10 holder and one 4x5 holder. Before Tom passed away, he had shot two sheets of 8x10 FP4 and two sheets of 4x5 FP4 that haven't been processed. <gasps> Wow. So we'll be processing the last negatives he ever shot. Oh, my God. AJ. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Crazy. That's so wild to to get a mentor's kit like right? that, like a piece of gear. Because I, I, uh, I mentioned it on the show a couple of times that, you know, I used to play music back in the day. And mm -hmm. like my musical icon was my dad, as crazy as that. Well, I guess that doesn't sound crazy. It's awesome. normal. <laughs> And he gave me his, you know, 1968 uh, Ludwig Blue Sparkle classic 60s Ludwig drum set. And awesome. it's just like when you have something like that, there's, again, just like a bit of magic that's mm -hmm. stored. And because like that was his drum set when he started playing. And, you know, there's pictures of him in the 70s in rock bands. So you can't even see his face, his hair's down, to, yeah. you know, just rocking out <laughs> on these drums. And it's like, so cool. it's crazy to think the stories that, that travel and stuff like that, you know, you can't hear them. You can't like put your ear up and it's telling you a literal story, but there's something that comes with, with hand-me-downs like that. Like I love hearing the, I got my grandfather's, a1 i got my mm -hmm. what I, you know there's just it just kind of ties into that whole family you know i don't know well, what it is that well i think what it ties into timothy like when i think specifically to the film world we always talk now about this sense of community in the film photography industry yeah and it's so strong but we think that we think of this as a modern phenomenon i mean mm-hmm Tom and his wow. peers, they broke bread together talking about film decades ago. Right. There's always been central to the film photography world. There's always been this interest in dialogue and exchange of ideas. There's always been so much vitality there. And you can even think back to the history of photography. Alfred Stieglitz would kind of congregate these great minds, men and women uh, from around the world, to have meaningful discussions on the topic. The community around analog image making is strong today, but it's been strong in the past. And being able to pass down tools and exchange ideas, share influences, uh, that's why we do what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why many of us do what we do, I should say. It's awesome. That was the best answer to a question I think we've ever <laughs> asked on the show. Um, but there's more questions we got to ask you. Let's go. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious. I feel, I, f I feel like we might know the answer, but Timothy, you want to ask him? Yeah. Yeah. It's a two part question. Mm -hmm. And the first part is the dreaded desert island question of you can only choose one camera, you know, for mm -hmm. the rest of your life. What's it going to be and why? The Ebony SW810. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know I just signed myself up for 
like a string of second mortgages to pay for film there. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, every time I use that camera. So first off, for me, it's that. And for any listener out there, it's probably that camera that has some sentimental value to Mm -hmm. you. And regardless of format or intentionality behind why you choose something, behind the discriminant decisions to make a photograph, sometimes the most important thing is how that camera, how that tool makes you feel. Mm -hmm. And when I use this Ebony 8x10, I feel like I'm retracing the tripod holes that Tom Jemison laid in the sand. I love that. Wow. And it is just... There's this crazy thing that happens. Yeah, no, I I would choose that camera in a New York minute. In particular, if I could find a 4x5 reduction back for it, which if you think the Ebony SW810 is a unicorn, that oh reduction boy. back is even harder <laughs> to find. So I'm still Damn. looking, um, but that's it. I just, I love hearing that about the mortgage and all that stuff because it's... <laughs> It's so crazy. We could never go anywhere with this. You know what I mean? Like, just say Mm -hmm. our love and passion is just so strong. Like, look at uh, Vivian, Vivian Mm -hmm. Meyer. Meyer, Such a great example of, like, somebody who just shot because they love to shoot. You know, it wasn't about... I mean, some people, it is the end result that's that's the, the prize at the end of the, you know, the journey or whatever. Some people, it's taking the walk to go shoot the photos or the... To go mm-hmm. to the studio to press the button. You know, it's it's just so crazy that Polly, Polly Chandler, we had her on the show. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she, I think she Incredible like triple mortgage, triple mortgaged her house to have an endless supply of type 55 film. Yep. You know, it's, it's what <laughs> I couldn't imagine life without, you know, a closet full of film or a fridge full of film. You know, I would by any means necessary, you know, it's just crazy how it is. I, I don't mean to sound like too, uh, painfully or like poetic or dripping with nostalgia or sentimentality <laughs> but uh i would die penniless i would sooner die penniless yeah. and shoot color large format film than than have a you know a, a nice new car or a, a nice home or the next the latest laptop i used the same macbook pro for almost a decade <laughs> same you know my iphone is crushed into a million pieces uh you know i don't i i i the flannel shirt i'm wearing right now is from the 70s i bought it like at a thrift store for like three or four bucks like i i make it a point to make any sacrifice i can because i think some people look at the way i work and all the gear i have and all the film i have and they think oh like this guy you know he's just you know, he must be independently wealthy or yeah. someone supporting him <laughs> no yeah no i'm not I, I you know i i pay rent like you do i i i i have this a lot of the same interests that other people have i just make lots of sacrifices yeah and I think people that really want to work this way and want to do it more than just as a weekend project, you find a way to do it. Yep. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess we need to go to the second part of the part question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, Dude, I could sit and listen to this all day, especially on a day where it's like 20 inches of snow outside. <laughs> yeah, but you got to take photos later, too. No, I will. I will. I will. For sure. But the second half of the question is the, the white whale camera. Is there is there anything out there that you've always wanted to try and just haven't had a chance to or own or something mm. along those lines? As you as you ask that question, I'm looking at my shelf of cameras. <laughs> I was going to say, he has a lot. I don't know that he hasn't tried very many or not tried very many. Yeah, there, there's still a few things out there. Mm. We stumped somebody, Timothy. <laughs> That's so difficult. 
Because there definitely is, but I'm trying to think of what what's at the top of that list. Yeah, it's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Mine changes probably once a month. So yeah, I would say I would say like for me a unicorn camera that I would love to try, and knowing that it wouldn't be a way I'd work full time, probably the Deerdorf V11, 11 by 14. Wow. Oh hell yeah! All right, <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, large format's cool, but ULF is, like, on steroids. Um, So, yeah, it would probably be something in the 11 by 14 world. Or or probably a Brooks Vera Wide 6x9 with a Schneider Super Angulon 47 f5.6. Beautiful. I don't think anybody's ever picked that one before. No, we definitely had two right there that uh, have never been (laughs) called on the show. (laughs) Great answers, AJ. Thank you. And if you're listening and haven't seen the Brooks Vera Wide, mm. look it up. Dude, yeah, it's an awesome camera. I've I've Very looked cool. into them a couple times. Yeah. Wow. Tom Jemison had one. I'm gonna I'm gonna have one hopefully his one day. But if I couldn't have the Brooks Vera Wide, for me the other camera to own and I've used it in school is the Hasselblad Super Wide. The thirty eight and a half millimeter or thirty eight millimeter bygone on that camera is one of the finest wide angle lenses that has ever been made. Mm. Incredible. Great answers, AJ. Um, This has been a phenomenal. Thank you so much for for coming on the show. I'm sure you have inspired a lot of our listeners to take the leap into large format, which was kind of like my ulterior motive of getting you on the show because I wanted (laughs) to talk about large format with you. Not that we don't do enough of that at work, but um, where can everybody check you out? Are you on Instagram? Yes. Website? so I have, okay, websites, wow. Uh, I have a couple. They're grossly outdated. I am so sorry to the film photography gods out there. It's like, <laughs> we I, I have so, yeah, so much work to do. But for now, the best place to find me is on Instagram. It's just at AJ Holmes Photo. I share a lot of work there. You can also see a little bit about what we're doing and more behind the scenes tips on shooting large format uh, over at Negative Supply. So another place to find more information and more work. Awesome. Nice. Timothy, where are you? All right, guys. Easiest way to find me is Instagram. It's at Timothy Makeups. I also make film photography related YouTube videos. Uh, easiest way to find me over there is just go to the search bar, type in Timothy Makeups. You'll find a bunch of my stuff there. Chris, where are you? So we are Analog Talk Pod on Twitter, Analog Talk Podcast on Instagram. We have a Facebook page and a group you can join and share photos and all the things we share over there. Um, we love that. Uh, I am Crispy Photo on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And Neg of Supply has a new Facebook group you can join and share your scanning setups or some scans that you are making with Negative Supply tools mm, as well. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Awesome. Thank you, AJ. This was a blast. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Awesome, Definitely. guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. First off, we want to thank AJ for coming on the show. What a good time. Super inspiring. Love large format. Love getting the word out. I mean, what an inspiring episode. I can't wait to load some film holders and get out and shoot. AJ, thanks so much. And thanks so much for all the negative supply stuff that you guys do, like keeping film photography alive. We really appreciate it. Guys, that's going to take us to Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. And for just a buck, you can get the show two days early. We've also been doing these develop with us sessions. You can also be a member of our Discord where we, I mean, there's chatting going on all day long on the Discord. It's a, it, it's awesome. It's, it's great 
great to be close to you guys. There's also a ton of other stuff on our Patreon, so check it out. Head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. And that's going to be it for this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for making it this far. We love every single one of you guys, and we can't wait for next year. We'll see you soon, guys. Later. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.